Welcome to We Need to Talk About HR, a weekly podcast where we discuss the forces shaping our roles today, from shifting expectations, changing technology, and tightening budgets. I am thrilled to be able to welcome Louise Fraser, the People and Culture Director at Instant Impact. Welcome on the show. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Well, let's jump straight in. It'd be fantastic if you could give us a bit of a bit of a rundown of how you ended up in this this crazy old world we call HR. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually just celebrated my three-year anniversary at uh, Instant Impact, which is a global talent solutions provider. I think you might be familiar with it, Felix. I've heard of it, yeah. Fantastic business. <laughs> <laughs> Given that you are the co-CEO. Um, and as Felix said, I work in I work in people operations. I work in a people and culture director role. Prior to that, have always worked in talent management, talent acquisition strategy positions for over a decade and have moved over from a talent acquisition director role into a people and culture director role um, alongside the growth of instant impact and the need for someone to be focusing on the people operations side of things. It's really interesting. And that's quite a well-trodden path, the move from recruitment or talent director, someone leading up that side of the of the world into someone taking a more general people HR role. What what was it that drove that shift for you? Yeah, I think for me, you're right, there is there is that is quite a normal pathway. Uh, the the role of talent acquisition is is definitely shifting. So there's a focus on everything from onboarding to looking at the experience of employees, how you build a brand um, for attracting candidates. And that has always interested me alongside looking at things like L&D, equity, diversity and inclusion, all of those types of things. And I suppose naturally for me, the more interested I became in those areas, uh, the more my role leaned into a, a people and culture type type role. Um, and so I think that's that's how I landed there. The things that I was most passionate about in talent acquisition were the, the things that you could probably have more sway over working in a people and culture type position. Well, it's so interesting. And I think it, it lends itself really well to the topic we are, we're going through today, which is, um, you know, the the way that the uh, the role is is evolving. But I think as the workplace seems to get more and more complex, I, I feel like the different elements that feed into talent and the different elements that feed into people, culture, HR just getting more and more complex, more and more specialist and, and larger and larger as as they go. So it's it's not surprising that many people have taken that same path as you. In a talent role, you get exposed to a number of these different areas that surround and inform recruitment. And then you get that passion, that sort of bug for the, uh, for the I guess, the employee side of things. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's interesting that you, you say that I, I maybe call it January reflection, but I've been thinking about my career and my role and uh, the time that I have uh, spent in HR functions. And I think that previously, uh, HR roles have been seen as quite traditionally administrative, perhaps. Um, and now more and more businesses are seeing that people are such a critical asset to their, to their company, right, and to the success of a company. So um, there's so much, there's so many more things that 
um, HR teams now have to do in order to make sure that they're strategically leveraging that human capital towards business success. Um, so I, yeah, I think that there's the, the change in the people's role has probably been something that's, that's super attractive to me as well. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And just that, just that term human capital, mm. it sort of says it, it says it all right, that your people are a, an asset and a huge asset for, for an organization. And you know, I've been in my, geez, 14 years of running instant impact. I've been a member of various CEO forums, business leader forums, all the rest of it. And I genuinely think that on the, if you asked a hundred CEOs about their top three to five, well, three concerns that they've got, I, I reckon somewhere in the 90% would have some element of human capital right at the top there. So it's going to be retaining the right people. It's going to be hiring the right people. It's going to be making sure that they've got subject matter experts as part of their part of their organization because it impacts everything. It doesn't matter how techy you are as an organization. I agree. I think it doesn't matter what your product roadmap looks like. It doesn't matter how good your strategy is. If you don't have talented, happy, motivated people within your business, you will not reach the success that you're that you're looking for. So I'm I'm not surprised. So that's so it's really interesting. I definitely understand the sort of growing importance of human capital management of people of HR within organisations. But why is it you think this change has happening? The broadening of the role that you were talking about before. What's driven it? Yeah, I think I think there are quite a few reasons that I could list. Things that come to me immediately would be factors such as globalization and the advances in technology, right? So businesses are now more dispersed, they're more global, they're more remote, they're utilizing more tech. And so naturally their role of HR has become more evolved, more complex, because they strategically need to manage uh, employees over like across multiple countries and, and look at, you know, cultural differences and how to implement different strategies in different countries as well. So that's, I mean, that's evolved in itself. And much earlier in the business life cycle, right? So mm -hmm. what, we're a company of 65 people and we've got team members in four different, four different, uh, so four different, uh, regulate regulatory zones and five different countries. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, to have a to have a company of our size, twenty years ago, covering that geographical footprint when it comes to the employee base would have been incredibly rare. But I've got the COO of Hi Bob coming on, coming on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> nice plug there. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. self plug. Um, coming coming on, and he's going to be talking about the rise of the micro multinational business. It's so interesting how technology has bulldozed the barriers to different geographies. You don't need to hire a developer in Brighton. You can hire them in India or in the Philippines or in America or I mean literally anywhere in the world because you've got the technology that that allows you to create a sort of a bit of a remote well remote first hybrid workforce. You've got companies out there that can help you with the the, the local employment law. So there really is really is almost no limit to the yeah yeah i i completely agree and it's it's really exciting it's super exciting that we'll be able to probably have like more innovation and and like have different people 
bringing different ideas to the table based on the experiences that they've had in different countries, right? Uh, but it also means that, that from a HR perspective, we have to look at multiple different HR landscapes and changes in legislation and all those types of things as well. So it's really interesting and really exciting, but certainly like adds another responsibility to, to, to the team team's work. How do you deal with that, right? So HR typically, and I mean this absolutely no offense whatsoever, <laughs> but typically seen as a cost center for uh, for an organization. So a lot of SMEs operate with pretty lean people, Function. people and culture functions, HR functions. And yet that requirement to pick up different specialisms and having a much broader a much broader remit is is real so how, how do teams respond to that increased demand with things like um say we're looking at globalization and we're looking at uh landing in multiple countries and supporting em- employees as correctly as as possible i think that we we at instant impact have have leaned on using an employer of record to support us with with some of that setup right they you mentioned earlier they they can support you with the paperwork so actually making sure that your contracts are correct and making sure that you're setting up the right benefits for the, for the right people and making sure that your holiday alignment and all of your policies work for specific countries and i think that that's something that uh, honestly without starting out at least in those countries using employers of record we would have I think we would have really struggled to understand what we needed to do. So I think there's that. There's looking at talking to your employees that are set up in, in various countries and getting feedback on what they've seen in, in other businesses, what, what's working, what's what's happening for them in, the, in their countries respectively that um, could change the way that we do things for them is, is really important as well. Um, so I think being able to lean on and partner with organizations that are setting up internationally every day has been, has been really helpful for us in, in that sense, I think. And can I ask beyond, beyond the globalization piece, which is obviously a, could be incredibly time consuming, the right partners and the right skills and, mm. and knowledge is, is much more realistic. I think you mentioned another couple of really interesting elements. So you spoke about technology, you spoke about EDI, I think those are two really interesting things yeah. to, to zoom in on, particularly uh, particularly technology in a lot of ways, because it's not, I'm going to use really broad brushstrokes here, <laughs> but if you think about your classic HR professional, they're not someone that's really excited about or really knowledgeable about the sort of technology that's on the market at the moment. So how, how do you respond to that new demand? Yeah, I agree. I think you're right that um, HR technology is, advancing and evolving at a rapid rate and I would say that again not wanting to uh, generalize but uh, you know digital literacy and being equipped to look at HR data analytics is is not necessarily something that all HR professionals are equipped um, to, to manage or look at in order to derive insights so I think something that again we've done quite well at Instant Impact, there's definitely still a way to go, is to invest in HR uh, technology that that streamlines our processes, automates some of the administrative stuff, but also provides some really fantastic data analytics dashboards, right? They do, they do a lot of the hard work for you. So, you know, you can 
log into them, look at your dashboard, um, and they're providing you with insights from the data that you've suggested that you might want information on. Um, uh, example being, we have a we have a people management system called Lattice. Um, it's it's quite all singing and all dancing, really. Um, our employees they do their updates, um, their weekly updates. They have one to ones with their managers that. They run the agendas through uh, Lattice. They um, will uh, provide feedback uh, and they will run their individual development plans through Lattice as well. Um, and so we've got employees engaging with that platform every day, hopefully. Um, and at any any given time, I can log in to the dashboard and I can see you know, how many managers are engaging with their one-to-ones through meetings. I can see how many people are giving feedback and what the subjects of those feedback are. Um, and I can see general sentiment in teams. So um, which areas or which teams have higher sentiment, which um, teams have maybe lower sentiment. And that's like gold dust, right, to HR. Like, okay, what, what can we strategically fo- focus on based on that information that's provided to us? We no longer have to do the digging. It's super interesting, right? It's just a, that's a great example, I get, I think, of where a technology does so much heavy lifting for you. I mean, if you just think, imagine if we stripped that out. Like, we all agree that's really good data to get. But if you yeah. stripped it out 10 years ago, five years ago, maybe even, said that we want that kind of insight in the organization. We want to know exactly what's going on in one-to-ones across the organization. We want to know uh, the sentiment of people in those in the, in the business. We want to know how people are performing over the course of the year and and we want to build all of that into a into a great report. The amount of manual sort of shadow reporting that you need to build in for that. I mean, you probably need a, a whole headcount in your team to be able to be on top of that, or half a headcount, for for example. I think the the other. So I think that's super exciting, and it's just one example of a point solution that makes makes life easier. Yeah. And the other point that I love is that increasingly the analytics piece is is becoming almost managed by by the software providers it's definitely definitely a trend i'm seeing across across hr and, and ta tech is that whereas previously building the dashboards building the reporting suite would have been seen to be the job of the user increasingly those those businesses are serving up those insights in in a much more proactive way which is fantastic i, I couldn't agree more and the amount of like, it's it's so much more efficient for for you know someone like me who used to work off of spreadsheets and then you know try and create graphs and then and then be thinking okay well what did this this look like in comparison to what we did this time last year, I um you know I was pulling together some slides for uh, our board meeting um this month, um and I moved into our HRIS system we use HiBob. Um, just to pull some analytics on things like growth, retention, attrition, um, comes up straight away from me. Put, you know, type into the dashboard that I want to look at growth statistics. I've got all of these lovely graphs which do all the hard yards for me. Um, not only that, now there's a there's a little insights text box box underneath to say, um, interestingly enough, you know, you grew the same amount uh, this time in July. It was your you know it was your highest growth month for both. 2023 and 2022 great like we can maybe see if there's a pattern from a forecasting perspective and i didn't need to go back and think about it because hi bob's now 
made maybe an assumption on what might be interesting to me. So, yeah. That's really interesting. It's great as well because a number of HR practitioners I speak to, they understand the technologies out there, but especially with AI, there's a big sort of, I'm going to bury my head in the sand because yeah. I don't understand it. So, you know, hopefully it will go away <laughs> kind of. And actually, I think one of the one of the things that really defines technology in this era, if you will, is it's just incredibly usable. And mm. it's more about ensuring adoption and successfully communicating a new rollout than it is having at least, I mean, to get 80% of the value, I would say, from any point solution, really it's just about a good a good rollout, good communication, and making sure that you're kicking enough asses to make sure that people are actually staying on the platform <laughs> and using it in the intended way, right? Yeah, and I think that's right. And I think that the better you can make someone look at their job, the more likely they are to keep going back on the platform. And if if someone can support me with providing, like, insights that are actionable or insights that are going to be interesting to the executive team then then that's that's definitely going to keep me coming back onto the platform anyway so i'd like to dig into this thought that we brushed on before mm -hmm. about this perception of the of, of the function as a cost center versus a value creator and i think that a lot of the things you've spoken about human capital management um, sort of deep insights into how employees are, uh, are running, improving EDI. Those talk to value creation to me rather than just a cost center question. So how good would you say HR tend to be at positioning as a value creator and distancing I mean, obviously cost is going to come into it, right? But it does for a, a sales team as well. Where, where do you think the, the skills in the, in the industry and the function are um, on, I guess, effective communication of value creation? Yeah, I think, um, I think that's a, a great one. And probably, you know, I'd say something that all organizations struggle with because you, if you look at the financial side of things, HR are, are an overhead. They they are not seen to be physically having money come in um, yet the that I think that there is more and more a like an understanding that hopefully anyway that the loss of a person is is a big cost to to a business and so I think a, a key part of um, making sure that execs understand how critical having happy talented people are in the business is to make sure that they understand the cost involved in maybe losing and rehiring someone um so reporting on that type of thing um i think there are other ways that um you know people in culture or people operations department can work to um show how valuable having great people invested people are in terms of you know looking at things like uh employer brand um, employer brand is so important for any any company that has clients that are or is selling a product, etc. Um, if there are good reviews from happy employees online, or we have accreditations for being uh, a great company um, through things like best companies, etc. 
um, you know, specifically in our realms where we're, we're, you know, global talent solutions provider, you've got you've got businesses looking at us and saying, okay, well, what well, what what are their team like? Are their team happy? Is their HR team functioning well, etc. And to focus on things like making sure that there's a good employer brand and good social media immediately adds adds value, I think. And so it's so interesting for that business case and and the value add piece. And I think whenever you're looking at value add, you have to look at risk as well. Yeah. If you look at, there are, there are a couple of recent, relatively recent examples that got a lot of press at the time, but I'm not sure the lessons have really stuck. If you look at Amazon, for example, and the way that they were in the news for, I mean, it must have been repeated news cycles for how they were treating their uh, the workers in their in their fulfillment centers um, and how difficult a job that was and how you know the lack of flexibility and sort of very difficult conditions that that those workers had it had a big knock on on their reputation and uh, I, I I have actually recently seen them on a couple of ethical boycott lists for for businesses to to use for that exact for that exact reason. Yeah. Um, and if you look at, if you look at Brewdog, for example, an absolute, they've done so much to be this disruptive, really positive, you know, we're a really cool, like Scottish beer company <laughs> and like two fingers up to the, um, to the, the big established players and we're going to do things by our own rules. And then they get hit by sort of a couple of, uh, repeated scandals about how their workforce are, are treated. You know, those things have real bottom line business impact. It's huge cost to be able to um, to be able to get to to crawl back from that kind of bad bad publicity. And on the flip side of that, you know, you've got companies like us who have a <laughs> reputation for treating people really well and really fairly, and it goes to the character of the organisation. Agree. I agree. I think um, it, it's it's so important, and it, it you know whilst you can't necessarily physically put a financial number on it, um, having you know candidates come to us uh, when we're hiring ahead of us hiring is saving my internal team time. It's saving us. It is saving us. It's money because we've got such a good brand that people are wanting to work for us before we even need them. Um, so those types of things are. Uh, a super important, I think. Well, actually, if I can just jump, yeah, yeah. just to just to talk about, and I think this is one of the this is one of the areas that I think is a missed opportunity in the function. I think we can get more creative with the business case that we're that we're putting in front of our stakeholders. So, I'm really interested in the fact that HR, and I think I think even talent acquisition teams are um, guilty of this to an extent, but it's very inward looking. Right, so who have we got in the organization? How are we developing them? And there's very little thought about the opportunity cost of not hiring people that are in other businesses. So if you've got, a, if you've got two identical businesses and one has a, I, I'm gonna use sales because it's the easiest because there are always revenue numbers are, uh, attached to them. You've got one, the, the products are identical, the businesses are the same size, they operate in the same markets and they're direct competitors. One has a sales director who's delivering three million worth of sales and one has a sales director that's delivering two million worth of sales now the delta the, the the delta in their performance a lot of that a lot of those contributing factors are things that are well within hr hr's control so you've got the working culture you've got the 
uh, you got the L&D, you've got the employer brand being able to attract a, um, a better or a worse sales director. You've got the talent team that, that roll up into the HR function who, who are gonna be able to attract them or not. Then you've got some areas that HR touch on, but maybe don't control necessarily around the technology and the ways of working and the enabling, the enabling functions there. All of that, I think, can feed into a story of, you know, if we if we build this, if we build it, they will come. Yeah, I know you're right there. <laughs> to, co- to coin a phrase. <laughs> no, I, I I agree. There, are, I think you know that HR are so involved in every element of an employee's life cycle, and uh, employees are naturally more engaged like more, if I say better at their job or maybe more willing to, to, to do their job and more motivated if all of the, their other needs are, are met, right? So they've got the flexibility to pick their kids up from school every day or they can go to do the sport that they wanna do. Um, they've got the training and development that they need to be better at their job. Um, and so the return on investment for that employee being um, being developed, for being happy, for having the flexibility that they need is, is, is again, probably quite high in terms of business success. Yeah, it's super, it's super interesting. Um, I've got this second hand because it was uh, someone, someone, someone at Instant Impact went to a talk by someone who, a, a, a London Business School professor. He's known internally as Professor Ben, but everyone came oh, back yeah. very excited. <laughs> um, and, they came back with this concept of, you know, you everyone or most employees will deliver, most good employees will, will give you 75 to 80, 80% of their of their headspace. Then you're fighting for somewhere between 15 and 25% of their additional discretionary brain power and amount that they care about the organization. And it's mm. that's where the why and the culture and the, you know, those those elements that we work so hard on in, in the HR space, that's where that sort of unlocks that additional, that additional effort. And it's competitive, right? Employees are asking for more from a workplace culture perspective. Organizations are then, you know, almost trying to be as competitive as possible when it comes to things like well-being and flexibility and fostering innovation and and so. Um, most organizations are trying in in some way to do it and it's about getting somehow getting it right for the for you know what your company need and what your company want as well because at sometimes if you work in an SME for example you can't offer the same uh, or you can offer more um, as as a larger organization and it, and it's a, it's also about finding that balance yeah you can't be can't be all things to all people can mm. you so let's talk about the future what it's crystal ball gaze here. <laughs> what okay. are you what are you expecting the next five years to bring to the function? Um I think that well, I know that uh, HR technology will continue to advance. I think that there'll be a sophistication in HR analytics and um you'll find that HR functions are dealing more and more in the realms of predictive analytics to identify workforce trends or HR trends. I think that that's that's definitely gonna happen in the next few years. I think that um, there's going to have to be some form of sophistication to uh, like global talent management solutions. So 
how do we manage talent uh, like across collaboration across across country borders um, better um, and I think that also things like performance management or looking at pro- like development and progression structures up through uh, up through organizations will need to become like less traditional and less structured and more dynamic because we now work in organizations where things are always changing all of the time and so those types of elements of what we would traditionally deal with in HR are going to have to now just be more flexible be more agile maybe maybe performance management is more around along the lines of continuous feedback models those types of things as well um, I can definitely see all of those things happening in the next five years. Um, That's really interesting. Uh, and it's, I think, just to zoom in on, on one of the things you talked about, because, you know, your continuous feedback point, uh, performance review, I mean, it's it's one of these sort of vestiges of a time. It's probably, what, uh, probably one of these, uh, it probably hasn't changed in 40 years. Yeah. You know, you do an annual review, you get a pay rise or you don't get a pay rise or you get promotion or you don't get promotional you get you get fired it's so how and why do you think that's going to shift to continuous i think that um there will be more more people doing job specific jobs for shorter amounts of time right we're going to see i think we're going to see an increase in people contracting people doing you know fractional roles for certain amounts of time we see we see more project work we'll see like just m- so many more shifts in the way that organizations do things that there there won't necessarily be someone working in a in the same role doing the same thing for for a full year anymore which that like then makes it incredibly difficult for uh, a standard performance review to happen or for someone to look at a, a job structure and say, well, this is the next step for this person when actually they've worked maybe like cross-functionally, maybe they've worked, you know, across like cross-country borders, that type of thing. Um, so I think that that's one of the reasons why a continuous feedback model would, would work best. How interesting is that? I hadn't really thought about this sort of, the impact that that trend is is going to have, because I completely I completely agree that there are a number of different factors that that push towards either an increase in contracting or a, almost like an internal gig economy piece going in within within an organisation. And just when you were speaking there, I think it kind of clicked for me. If AI, as I believe it will, erodes the need to have specialist knowledge to the extent that we do today because it can act as your co-pilot, it can pull on, you know, institutional knowledge that you have as an organization or publicly available information that's, that's on that's on the internet, then your barriers to doing something new within your organization really, really erode. And so it does feel like if for companies that are able to chunk up work, mm. give that to capable people within their organizations, will have an amazing opportunity to build very rounded people but that requires a different way of the way that we think about uh, performance. Yeah, yeah, everything, all of those types of constructs, we, you'd then be, not only are you looking at maybe continuous feedback models instead of performance management reviews, et cetera, you're looking at 
okay, well, what, you know, traditionally this person was in their level one in their job now, they're going to go to level two, level three, they'll become a manager, a director, etc. Well, actually, they're picking up skills from this stream of, of, of work, and they're picking up skills from this other department. Like, what does that what does that look like? There has to be more agility in, in structure for, for businesses as well for progression. Just what we need, just an increase in complexity from, yeah. <laughs> from an HR perspective. What does that workforce look like in your in your mind then? Uh, yeah, do you know what I, I actually could I couldn't really tell you, but what I what I do think is that uh, employees, the same way that they've been asking for more in terms of their you know well being and flexibility and all of these types of things, I think employees are going to ask for more in terms of the the skills or the jobs that they have access to um, because the, like you no longer have to stick in one stream, right? So what does it look like? It looks overly complex. Um, I can't see a clear, you know, nice tree organizational structure that I get now when I log into my, my HR system. Um, but I think it's exciting because it will bring, it will bring much more innovation to, you know, have Maybe you have a, a tech team that are setting up AI in a specific area of business, so like improving some sort of product. Um, and actually now someone from the HR team wants to join that team and maybe help them with their, I don't know, ethical practices and guidelines, et cetera. And they are actually gonna bring over like a, a new idea or some ideas or insights from what we've been working on in the HR team to that to that product roadmap. It's it's exciting, right? To to have that sort of what's it, cross departmental innovation. Well it's exciting, it's incredibly challenging. And I it's so interesting to the point you were talking about earlier, which is the cost of losing a team member. With these team members who are multi-skilled, incredibly knowledgeable about the about the organization itself because they've worked in tech, they've worked in HR, they've supported sales, they've done, I don't know, stint on the, on the Exco, for example. You're gonna end up with even more valuable team members as they're leveraged by the technology and these, these new ways of working. So I think the the demand, it's, it's gonna be really interesting to see the rise of those multi-tool players within within organizations and then the incredible cost of losing them. And I can only assume that there's gonna be an, a continuation of the trend that people do shorter and shorter stints on average at organizations. So there's another sort of contradiction within. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's actually giving me a bit of a headache just thinking about it. But I think that, um, I think that workforce planning and workforce management are, are just going to be hugely critical priorities for HR, like not only in the next five years, but in the next, I don't know, decade onwards, like things like looking at us being more agile in the way that people advance their careers, but developments in, in AI and changes in job skill requirements are going to, we're going to need to focus on what what people can do, what technology can do, etc. I read a I read on LinkedIn the other day that um, the job requirements for roles are going to change by sixty up to sixty five percent in the next five years. So 
that means that we now need to be thinking about how do we upskill the people in our businesses currently to make sure that when the involvement of AI means that these job responsibilities do change and they're already changing, right? Like that we are best positioned and that our employees feel comfortable and like in a good place to take on this, this I guess, almost new role um, and work in conjunction with technology. That's really, I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. It's, it's just becoming more and more true that the, the best skill you can learn is the skill of learning. Isn't yeah, <laughs> it? learning and unlearning ways of unlearning how you used to do it, relearning how how you need to do it in the future because the latency period that things are relevant for is just getting shorter and shorter and shorter. I think that's one of the one of the things that I'm really interested in from a talent acquisition perspective or talent management perspective is how do we get a good figure? How do we get a good measure for people's propensity to learn and pick up new skills um, and adapt to to the world so anyone out there in the uh the airwaves of uh, we need to talk about hr please let me know if you've got any bright ideas on that one <laughs> so how are you changing to get yourself ready for for all of that change mm, great question i think something that i am trying to do <laughs> this sounds really simple but i am always asking myself now when i'm doing doing tasks like should i be doing this could this be automated am i taking the long road here which is like a first step in the like avoiding administrative tasks and making sure that i'm streamlining things um, because right, that's the world of the future. Got a great top tip from that from our technology consultant who's in at the moment. Please she, do. she said anything that anything that's on Excel, mm. anything that you copy and paste, yeah, those things should be automated. Yeah. Like, All right, cool. That's a pretty good pretty good uh, yardstick for it. I agree. I agree. And then you know, really leaning into like we've invested in technology, so like lean into the dashboard don't try and you know go and create your own information it's, it's all there for you just like create your own create your own dashboards uh, that are a bit like personalize them on based on what's available to you um and like use those insights to support your strategic focus because as we mentioned earlier in in hr you're involved in so many different things now it can be really easy to just go I don't know where to focus. I'm just going to be reactive. Um, whereas, you know, you can use you can use insights on, I don't know, attrition or insights on hiring or insights on employee sentiment to really like focus your attention and your strategy for the for the next six months, year, longer perhaps. Um, and then I think something that I'm I'm working on um, at the moment is probably upskilling myself from a cultural competence perspective i think that we're only going to see more uh diverse workforces we're only going to become more global and dispersed and so like there's such a there's such a business impact to not knowing how to like manage cultural competency to in, in international businesses and so I think something that I'm I'm trying to do personally from a from a developing my skills perspective is is work on that um, that side of things. Um, I'm going to do a book plug, a, a non-planned book plug. <laughs> I um, I've just finished uh, the culture map, 
I don't know if you'd have heard of it. You know what? I got, uh, I started it, loved it, got yeah. three chapters in and got distracted, as is my way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite similar, but maybe it was, uh, you know. But you got through focusing it. On, focusing on the, it this year. So, um, yeah, really, really good book. Um, essentially talks about how you can, you know, utilize cultural differences to impact like business outcomes and really delves into the different types of cultural competence and how how different countries approach different types of things when it comes to when it comes to like working environment from like the way that they work to how they approach meetings to you know everything really lots of real life examples and real life stories and yeah it's been really interesting for me um and will absolutely support me in like forming some of the strategy when we think about things like how we approach feedback, how we approach recognition in like knowing that we're going to be expanding globally further. Wow, that's, um, that's brilliant. You're going to have to give me a bit of a, a nudge, a nudge or, just, or, just, uh, or just teach me about the book. <laughs> that's probably the best. The highlight's real from me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm going to ask my last question, which is always, always the same. If you were to meet yourself going into your first job and you're going into HR, what advice would you have for yourself joining the HR profession today? I think we've, we've sort of touched on it really, but I think it would be to like stay curious and be inquisitive, uh, knowing what we know now about how everything's gonna evolve so much and so rapidly and knowing how much the HR landscape changes. like in a HR role, you, you you need to adapt, you need to be flexible and you need to know what's going on like externally to your organization. So I think making sure that you're up to date with HR technology, making sure you're up to date with workforce trends is, is, is really important. So I don't know, it sounds a bit cheesy to say, stay curious, stay inquisitive. <laughs> I don't know if that would have landed well with me in my, in my early twenties, but that's, that's probably what I would say. No, it's fantastic. Well. <laughs> Louise, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really enjoyed uh, enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Thanks a lot. And for you listeners out there, please tune in next week as well, where we'll be joined by Rhea Mitchell, who is no relation, I, I should add. <laughs> We're going to talk about how important it is when you're running an HR function, whether you're sort of maintaining the status quo or whether, whether you're trying to affect large-scale organizational change, how important communication is, and not just reactive communication, but really carefully, really carefully thought through at comms. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.